let's go back to the book of 1 John once again. And uh, we shall once again try to finish the book of 1 John. Uh, 1 John chapter 5. And uh, it's amazing. These are some of the most contested verses in all of the Bible. Um, People claim they don't belong here, and yet we will look at them and try to understand they're in our Bible, uh, always have been, and uh, by God's grace, I believe always will and should be. And so we pick up with verse 5, Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit and the water. Yes, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. So we'll stop reading there. And uh, we talked about last uh, Thursday night, Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God, and even the youngest child who will put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ can understand that the things of this world are not the best things for us. Amen? Uh, it does not take uh, a great theological understanding. It's, it's amazing. I've heard that term used uh, several times. I was actually talking to a uh, a missionary this afternoon, and, and and as I usually do, I begin to ask a few questions about doctrine, and and I said, uh, does the uh, term alien immersion mean anything to you? And uh, he goes, well, uh, I'll be honest with you, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. And, and so I took a few moments to explain to him that uh, the word alien it means non-Bible or non-Baptist, immersion is what they call baptism because without biblical authority, it's not Bible baptism. And his first statement was, well, I'm not a theologian. I said, well, you don't have to be a theologian to understand that. It's very simple. And I said, would you accept baptism? Would you have someone come to your church from a Bible church or Nazarene or Pentecostal church and and just accept him straight into membership? He said, oh, no. He said, I'm a Baptist. I said, well, then you you got the right doctrine. Uh, that's just what it's called. I said, uh, we we like to keep things straight. And and uh, and so the, the idea here is not understanding every nuance. It's just understanding the lies that the world tells. Actually, today's been a... Funny day, I got a phone call from Time Warmer, Warner Cable. It says, we want to tell you about the new deals that we have. I said, excuse me, excuse me, stop, 
stop, don't want any. What? I said, did you hear me? I said, I don't want it. Huh? Why? I said, because I don't want to hook a sewer pipe up in my living room for my kids to watch. Have a good day. And uh, I'm sure I messed up his whole day. He's probably still talking about that too, you know. Uh, but, that, you know, the simple truth is, we can overcome. The th- we don't have to believe everything the world says. You do not have to be super Christian. All you have to do is know how to read. And I've uh, used this example many times. Our treasury agents who, who study and, and, and trace down counterfeit money do not learn their trade by studying the counterfeits. They learn their trade by studying the real stuff. And the counterfeits then stick out like a sore thumb because they don't measure up. Now, let me tell you, counterfeiting is getting better and better. Uh, I hope our agents are getting better and better at finding it. Amen? But as children of God, we study the real thing. And we will not believe the lies that are in the world. Amen? And then here's the reason why we don't believe the lies. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Now, I was reading one commentary on this passage, and he gave six different explanations of water. And uh, read several others, and, and they gave a bunch of different explanations. And, and, and what I would just like to throw out tonight, just like to have you to think is, could water just be water? Uh, I think it works out that way very well. Not trying to be ridiculous here, not trying to trick you into anything. Uh, it's, it's amazing. Every commentary was in total agreement. They know what the blood is. There, there's no issue about the blood. The blood is the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross. If you have any problems with that, then you've got lots of other problems in the Bible. Uh, where they have the problems is it the water. Uh, is it... And, and why don't we just uh, go back to... Uh, another passage by John that I think will shed some light on this. Let's go back to John chapter 3, if you would. The words of Jesus here is recorded by the Apostle John. Nicodemus in verse 4 asks a question, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And we've been through this passage many times here. And we understand that what is being spoken of here when Jesus said that a man must be born of water... And of the Spirit, it's talking about he must be born of the physical birth. And just like he has a physical birth, he needs a spiritual birth. 
Now, Jesus came through the natural birth process, didn't he? How did he come into this world? He was born of the Virgin Mary. And yes, she was a virgin when Jesus was born. Because God did something that he did not do any other time in all of history. And yet, when Jesus was conceived, Mary was in the engagement process. Uh, She was legally married to Joseph. But before they came together, so that there would be no doubt in the minds of us who read the Scriptures, Jesus had no earthly father. But he had a physical birth like every one of us have had. You see, Jesus came by water, didn't he? But he came to shed his blood on the cross. And he rose again from the dead. So he came by water and he lived his life and he died and he came out of the tomb and resurrected from the dead. And the Bible tells us that he sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat in heaven. So it says here, this is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only. Not only was he a man born physically, and you'll remember one of the themes, look at verse 5, that we need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We need to believe that Jesus has come in the flesh. Uh, All of those things tie into each other and, and give us a very simple not stretching, not trying to fit Scripture into our thought process. Jesus came by water and blood, and it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is true. Now, how did the Spirit bear witness? Does anybody remember? Jesus went to see a guy named John, the Presbyterian, right? No. John the Baptist, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove, and God the Father spoke from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And that's why a lot of the commentaries try to put baptism in here. But Jesus did not become God at his baptism. He already is God. He already is God when he was born of the Virgin Mary, but he entered the human race through the natural birth process. And the Spirit bears witness at his baptism through all of the works that Jesus did. In fact, what in Mark chapter 3, Matthew chapter 12, uh, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is attributing the works of Jesus Christ to those of the devil. And we know that Jesus did everything he did by the Holy Spirit of God. The Spirit bears witness. And Jesus, in in fact, Mark tells us that the reason they blasphemed the Holy Ghost was because they said that Jesus had an unclean spirit. John's testimony was, God giveth not the Spirit by measure to him. Amen? And so, we have Jesus coming 
by the physical birth to shed his blood on the cross, and yet he lives. So he came by water and blood. And then in verse 7, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in the earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. Now, when we put this in that context, there's, there's just not a lot of controversy about what these verses say. Amen? The fact that there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, have no problems with that. The Word, read John chapter 1. It's Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the Holy Ghost, we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost. And it says there are three that bear witness in earth. All the miracles, the life that Jesus lived, all of the teachings that he taught, it said that he did those through and under the direction, under the power of the Holy Spirit of God. His physical birth. God gave testimony to his physical birth, didn't he? Read Hebrews chapter 1. Let all the angels of God worship him. That's why the shepherds saw the angels the night Jesus was born. Because God was announcing the birth of His Son. And when Jesus was baptized, if you want to get that in there, we have God the Father speaking from heaven, God the Son physically present, and the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. And yet the whole reason Jesus came was to be the propitiation, the payment for our sins. Now, I want you to read carefully because I'm going to read. I don't do this very often. I'm going to read this passage out of the ESV. That's the English Standard Version. That is the version du jour of all the quote-unquote theologians of our day. Now, I want you to read very carefully. I'm going to read verse 6 for you. This is verse 6 in the ESV. Follow along in your King James Bible. It will be difficult, but... You'll, you'll see. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water, by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is true. That's the end of verse 6. Verse 7. For there are three that testify. Verse 8. The Spirit and the water and the blood And these three agree. Now, I've just read those same three verses out of the standard text of our day. Do you see how much they've taken out? They took out the testimony to the Trinity of God. In fact... It has been argued very effectively by those who are theologians that if you take out verse 7, as they do in the ESV, that the grammar in the Greek becomes nonsensical. It takes it from a passage dealing with the deity of Christ and the testimony of God to mankind through Jesus Christ, 
and makes it a passage that says Jesus came by water and blood. And it would be very easy to put baptism in there and teach a baptismal regeneration, which the Orthodox Church teaches, the Catholic Church teaches, the Church of Christ teaches, and and, uh, some of the apostolic churches teach a baptismal regeneration or that you get salvation through being baptized in water. Here, in our Bible... You can't do that. Because baptism doesn't fit the passage. It's not talking about baptism. Jesus already is God when he met John. It was just another testimony. The water agrees with the blood, with the Spirit, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you read all of the scholars, they'll tell you that these verses did not appear in any Greek uh, text before. Um, uh, they'll, they'll say the 12th century, but then they'll say, well, it was quoted by so-and-so in the 6th century, so now we're back to 500. Well, actually, it was quoted by so-and-so in, in, in the 3rd century, 258, a guy named Cyprian. Uh, and so, but, but we know that somebody inserted it into the text. And, um, no, we, we don't know that. What we, we do know is that it is in our Bible today And if I have to choose between siding with the ESV people and siding with my King James, guess who loses? I mean, it just does it. The the ESV, NIV, uh, you can go down through the new versions ad nauseum, and every one of them follows this uh, bereft passage that takes out the testimony of the deity of Christ. And, and they have all kinds of nice arguments. And they want to say that our translators of the King James Bible stuck it in because Erasmus put it in the third edition of his Greek New Testament. It's the only place they found it. And, and they put it in there and they just followed Erasmus blindly. Well, I want you to understand something. Our King James translators did not follow Erasmus blindly. They carefully, in fact, there are places where they departed from Erasmus's text to make sure that the text was as perfect as it possibly could be in the English language. And if I have to make a choice between Mr. Metzger, who's one of the foremost, quote-unquote, modern theologians of our day, and the 57 men who worked on my Bible, they win. I'll stick with my Bible, and I'll stick with the passage here, because you can't take verse 7 out and make the passage say what it says, because verse 5 tells us, who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You see, that's what the passage is about. 
It's about the testimony of Jesus Christ, that he was born into the human race, but he's still God, that he shed his blood for us, that God the Father in heaven, that the Word, eternal Word of God, the Holy Spirit of God, all give testimony to this fact and have given testimony from heaven and on earth, and that Jesus Christ is the only person in which all of these things come together. He is the center of our salvation. And we get down here to verse 9, and it hits right back at the same theme. This is one of the main reasons we reject the modern reading, is because it destroys the integrity and the thought flow of the entire passage. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God which he hath testified of his Son. If these three don't agree in one, if they just simply agree, who is the passage talking about? But the fact that they all agree in one, and the testimony of God agrees with the testimony on earth, it's talking about the person and the ministry and the work of Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that? And so you've just come through a difficulty that almost all modern theologians get messed up on. And we'll just stick with the Word of God. And verse 10, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Now, this is what John is saying. He's saying this whole passage is about Jesus. This is the record. If you have the Son of God, you have eternal life. If you don't, you don't have eternal life. It's just that simple. Now, how many of you remember being religious before you got saved? Did you have the Son of God before you were saved? No. No religion gives you any hope or any security in actually having the Son of God because the religion is all about doing enough good things to earn that salvation. Uh, When we were doing the street preaching with the painting and stuff, I had a sermon that was... Uh, Two kinds of religion in this world. Do and done. You see, 90% of all the religion is about what you do. That's why they have to fight wars. That's why they have to argue about their list of do's and don'ts. And and I've had people uh, accuse me, say, well, you, you just have a list of do's and don'ts. No. Now, the do's and don'ts come after you're saved, not before. Do you get it? You see, you have to trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. He saves me, and once He saves me, 
there are just some certain things that I ought not do. Amen? You see, if I can't be thankful to God for it, then I shouldn't do it, should I? It's like the guy tried to convince me that beer was a good thing. And I said, now, here's what we're going to do. I said, I want you to go down and buy a six-pack of beer and bring it back to the house here. I'll wait for you. He said, what? I said, and I want you to set it on the table here, your little coffee table. Uh, I said, and I want you to thank God for it in my presence and tell me how good God is to give you beer and, and all the good things that beer accomplishes. He said, Pastor, I can't do that. I said, I hoped you had enough sense to understand that, right? Amen? You can't do that. It's bad stuff. You can't blow smoke in Jesus' face. Amen? You see, it tells us here that If we receive the witness of men, which we should and do on certain occasions, amen, the witness of God is greater. And the job of the preacher is to make sure the witness that he preaches about agrees with God's witness. Then then we know that we're right. And that's why ever since there's been an open door Bible Baptist church, I've Held my Bible up and I say, you go home and check me out because if it's in the Bible, you'll see it. No other church will give you that challenge. They'll give you somebody else's book and say, see here, take Joseph Smith's book home and you'll see that it's in the Bible. Uh, no, you won't. You have to make a choice. Am I going to choose Joseph Smith's testimony over that of Jesus Christ? And if you choose Joseph Smith's testimony, the founder of the Mormon religion, then do you have Jesus or do you have Joseph Smith? And I'll promise you, Joseph Smith is not going to help you out on Judgment Day. He's going to be in too much hot water all by himself. Nobody's going to help him out on Judgment Day. How many of you remember the day you got saved? Could we take a minute and just remember that? Can you remember the day you got saved? I always love it when I get to talk to somebody and they'll say, Yes, I'm ready to ask Jesus to be my Savior. And then we'll pray together and and I'll say, are you saved? And they'll just look at me and say, yeah. I'll say, well, how do you know that? Well, uh, it's just different. I, I just know. Well, wait a minute. Let's go back. How did you know what to pray for when you got saved? Well, I just did what the Bible said. Ah, there's your security, isn't it? You see, that's how you can have the testimony in yourself. It's not a feeling. 
It's not a hope so. It's not a subjective faith. It's an objective faith. Here is what the Bible says. I did what the Bible says. And the Bible says that if thou shalt believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, what does it say? Thou shalt be saved. So therefore, I have a testimony. Not based upon how I feel, not based upon something, but it's based on the fact that I believe that Jesus Christ came into the human race, that He was born of water, just as each one of us were born of water. Just same thing as in John chapter 3. But Jesus came to shed, shed His blood on the cross. And He did. And according to Hebrews chapter 9, He sprinkled His blood on the mercy seat in heaven, having obtained an eternal redemption for us. The Bible tells me this by God's direct revelation to mankind. That's what the Bible is. We have no way of seeing in heaven. But Jesus has told us of those things, and the writers of Scripture have told us. And you see, when you believe not God, you're calling God a liar. Now, those are pretty strong words. But how many people will say, yeah, 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 I get it, I get it. Um, but they want to add something else to it. Wait a minute. We're in the political season, are we not? What is the one word that politicians bandy about more than any of it? Liar, 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 isn't it? You know. She's unfit to be president. He's unfit to be president. I agree with both of them. Amen? I mean, I have no problems agreeing with both Hillary and Bernie Sanders on that point. Neither one of them are fit to be president. I don't know if any of the people really running would be my choice, but there are some that are better than others. But they always talk about the other candidates lying, lying, lying. Because that's what they're all doing, isn't it? To one degree or another. You see, if you take my words and change my words and say they're my words... You're lying about what I say. It's just that simple, isn't it? In fact, while I was a student in Bible college, had a fellow student. Fortunately, I never figured out, didn't know who it was. But he brought him a tape recorder to class. And he recorded the professor's lecture on several different occasions until he had assembled enough sentences that he could cut and paste the tape together to make the professor say things that the professor never said. Then he sends a copy of this tape home to his pastor and said, this is what they're teaching me in class. 
And, of course, the pastor got very upset and called the college and said, I can't believe you're teaching this kind of heresy at this school. I'm not going to support the school. And they finally played the tape for the professor. And the professor said, I never said that. He said, that's my voice. And I said all of those sentences. So now it was time to go back and put some pressure on the student. said, we think this tape has been doctored. What do you think? And uh, he broke down under pressure and admitted to what he had done. But how many people do that to the Bible on a regular basis? They cut and paste and they take this out and they say, well, I don't agree with that. You know what? This is not a cafeteria. You know what a cafeteria is? They have all those different kinds of food there. And you get to pick what you want and leave what you don't. Well, that's not the way the Bible works. It's kind of like the way it was when I grew up. If it got put on the plate, you better eat it. And you better smile about it. And if you don't, there's going to be trouble. Well, it didn't hurt me any. And... The Word of God is not meant for you to pick and choose what you want. And if you start that process out, what you're doing is eventually, and you'll find this to be true of every religion other than the Bible, at one point or another, you're going to come around full circle to where you deny the words of Jesus Christ and actually make, call God a liar. See, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He that cometh, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Well, what did the Orthodox, what was one of the first inventions, innovations, we might say, of the Orthodox and later the Catholic Church? Was it not the saints? I mean, the history of these individuals who are held in very high esteem is very ancient. Because the worship of men has always been. If you study the Greek gods, uh, many of them we can trace to historical people. And they kept building the stories into where Hercules became a superman when actually he may have been related to the Nimrod of, Hebrew, of Genesis chapter 11. Someone said that Zeus was actually the Shem, uh, Noah's son, who was actually still alive when Jacob was born. All the way from the flood to the life of Jacob, Shem was still alive. It's an amazing history if you follow your Bible out correctly. And they took the lives of these great people and they began to aggrandize them until they turned them into gods. It's exactly what happened in the first and second and third centuries. And all of a sudden now, there's another way to get to God. How many of you heard the priest tell you, well, who was more strict, your father or your mother? Of course it was your father. That's why we pray to Mary. Because she's not as strict as the Father is. I read that in a Catholic book. I'm sitting here going, wow. 
What are you doing? Calling God a liar? Aren't you? Because Jesus said, No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is none other name given among men, uh, given under heaven among men, whereby we must be saved. This is the record. The record is God has given to us eternal life, and that eternal life is through His Son. Amen? And if you have the Son, you have life. If you have not the Son, you don't have life. And verse 13 is one of the most misunderstood verses in all the Bible. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. I've asked people here, you go to church all your life, you believe on Jesus, but you don't know that you have eternal life, do you? Oh, nobody can know that until you die. Well, then what good is it? If you can't know you're going to heaven until after you die, what good is your religion? You see, John says, I'm writing these things that you can know that you have eternal life because you have the Son. This is the reason we believe on the name of Jesus and not in the saints and not in the church and not in good works and not in somebody's book. Only in the Word of God. Amen? How, how much more simple could it be? You don't need a commentary. The, the Bible explains it. That's the reason. Now, there's some other confidences that are going to finish this chapter out. And it tells us in verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. You know what He's talking about here? Answered prayer. Not because you're a great prayer, but because you finally figured out what the Bible wanted you to pray for in the first place. Can we say amen to that? Or do we have to spend a whole week on that verse? I mean, it wouldn't hurt us. But do you understand what it's saying there? When I pray according to the will of God, I know that God hears me. I know that God's going to answer. Do you know what that means? When I pray and God doesn't answer me, maybe I'm not praying according to the will of God. But sometimes God says, wait. Well, what am I supposed to do? Well, if I know that I'm praying according to the will of God, I just keep praying. Prayer doesn't change God. God doesn't need to be changed. Prayer doesn't empower God. Prayer doesn't allow God to do something. God does not need my permission. But God won't bless a situation I'm involved in if that blessing is going to encourage me in pride or some other sin. And sometimes that's why God will not give us the things that we need. is because in Him giving us what we need, 
we would use that to justify ourselves rather than to justify God. And so we cut ourselves off from the very blessings that we desperately need and desire because we get a wrong heart attitude worked into this thing called prayer. Prayer is what God uses to chip away at who and what I am to get me out of the way and conform me to the image of His Son. That's why Jesus prayed for three hours in the garden. He was illustrating for us that this thing called prayer is not to alter God's will. Jesus did not need more power from God to do what He was going to do. He is God. He came to do those things. But He's trying to illustrate for you and I that there is a work that prayer must perform upon the human soul so that we can be in agreement with God's will. Can we say amen to that? And you see, the rest of this chapter is very quick here. It says, If any man see his brother sin, a sin which is not unto death. Now, how do you know it's not a sin unto death? Could I give you a clue? He's still alive. If someone sins a sin unto death, they're dead. Don't make it any more difficult than it needs to be. So, if you see a brother make a mistake, if you know of a Christian that does something wrong and they're still alive, guess what? you got a ministry for them. It says, He shall ask and He shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a, a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin. And there is a sin not unto death. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. Now, what does that mean? Could I simply challenge you what that's talking about is? A Christian cannot continue to live in sin. If they can, they're not a Christian. And number two, the devil has never taken a soul that has been claimed by the Lord Jesus Christ. The devil has never regained a soul washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's all this passage is talking about. We sin. That's why the next verse says, the whole world lieth. And we know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. We live in a wicked world, do we not? Everything about us is promoting wickedness. But you see, we've overcome the world because we have faith in Jesus Christ. We know that what they're doing is not right. And that's why they hate us. It's because we're going to point the finger in the face and say, you need to confess your sin to God because only Jesus can forgive your sin. And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding 
that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. How many of you are glad you know you're saved tonight? How many of you are glad that your wrong decisions, your sins since you've been saved, have not cost you your salvation? Amen? I mean, we ought to rejoice in that fact. Because Jesus paid the price for our sins. And we know who God is and we know that He is love and that my relationship with Him is not based upon fear and trepidation, but it's based on His love for me. We love Him because He first loved us. And you know what? Giving testimony to my faith in Christ in a baptistry and pledging to live my life as a member of a local fellowship of believers is a very small repayment for all that Christ has done for me. But you see, I know I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm in Jesus, and He's in me. And He is the true God. And the danger that we have is idols. And that's why He ends the chapter. Brethren, little children, sorry. Keep yourself from idols. You know what? The world is full of idols. In fact, I got some good news. What is that stupid television show, uh, Idol or something like that? It has, something, it has the word idol in it. They're going to cr- uh, crown their last contestant uh, this week sometime. And the show's going off the air. And I'm going, Yay! Uh, at least something good's happening this week. Amen? Uh, I don't even know the shame, name of the show. I just know it has idol in it, and they, they claim that they've created a few. Praise God. I've heard the names, but I have no idea who they are. I couldn't even tell you one song that one of them sang. I don't want the little children in our church to think that some great sports person is somebody they should follow. They ought to follow Jesus Christ. Amen. If you want to if you want to have an idol, I mean not an idol, uh if you want to follow somebody, follow somebody that's following Jesus. Amen. That's the way it used to be. I remember brother Clayton telling the stories when he was a young man. And just a teenager trying to serve God. And he said the missionaries had come in. He said, and they'd tell the stories of how God used them. And the great evangelist would come in and preach. And he said, those were the people that we wanted to pattern our life after. He said, never thought about patterning our life after a drunken baseball player or one of these other filthy sports whatever, or movie stars, or any of He said, that just didn't cross our minds. He said, we wanted to pattern our lives after the Lord Jesus Christ and after those that served Him. Keep yourself from idols. 
You know, the only truth that comes out of Hollywood is the fact that it's all on film. Nothing else is real. The face isn't real. The picture isn't real. I mean, they can do stuff on a computer. In fact, uh, they've come up now with people who look more like people than people do. And it's all computer generated. It has nothing to do with reality. I remember hearing about one movie they made and they said, oh, we couldn't even begin to try these stunts. They're just too dangerous for human beings. So we just did it all on the computer. Wow, that's pretty cool. But you can't live life that way. Keep yourself from idols. And all God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. We thank you for this wonderful book. And we ask that you would help us to lay to heart the great truths that are in it. And Lord, even as we finish the book, just think about a dozen sermons that we could start all over again. And and never even hardly touch on the same material. But Lord, I pray that as we move on, that you would help us to remember the things that are in this little book. Lord, that we need to confess our sins and you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Lord, that there are antichrists out there, false Christ. There are false professors of a false faith. Lord, there are false spirits that are living in our world trying to deceive us. There's only one, Jesus Christ. He's come in the flesh and He has finished the work. He came by both water and blood and the Word of God, the Spirit of God and God the Father all give testimony. Help us, Lord, to be servants of Jesus Christ. In Your name we pray. Before we say Amen, we'll just...